Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Another classic in this Rockets-Warriors series, and another classic won by the Houston Rockets. 98-94, down the stretch, one of the weirder endings that I can remember for a big game in a long time, but the Rockets take it. You can argue that for large portions of this game, they were outplayed by Golden State, but they made fewer mistakes and they got just enough timely plays, especially from Chris Paul. And so Paul had probably maybe like the greatest six for 19 game of all time. (laughs) Can we call it that? I mean, really just an incredible performance by him in the the second half again. And paralleling game four, Paul stepped up when Harden was not effective. And he was making incredibly tough shots. I mean, the three he hit over Clay Thompson was completely ridiculous. The He had a couple of beautiful finishes, including one uh, banker past Draymond Green. But, I mean, he was beating good defense and good shot contests for for shots. I do want to... I do want to quibble a little bit with what you said about the Warriors outplaying the Rockets because I think it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit how much this game swung on the Rockets missing open yeah, threes. Yeah, that's early. true. Early, early on, that that is the case. We probably, yeah. but they, I mean, they ended up shooting thirty yeah. percent, uh, and I think it, it I think it evened sure. out with some of the ridiculous ones that Paul hit late. And I'll, I mean, and for Harden, I mean, he usually shoots better than zero for eleven. But he maybe had like one or two open looks the whole night. I didn't think he was getting the same level of separation on his step back uh, as he was. So, I mean, that was good defense. I mean, he'll usually hit some of those, but I thought that was good defense. You make a good point there, especially, I thought, in the first quarter. Yeah, in the first quarter, Houston was 3 for 14 from 3. And an overwhelming proportion of those were open. Harden did, was 0 for 4, and those, I think, did fit in with your line about him mostly being contested. But Eric Gordon missed a couple of wide open ones. Gerald Green missed a couple of, of open ones, which was a little bit of a surprise because he's usually good. But he he was 2 of 4. He may, actually had a majority of their makes. And I thought Houston, the other big takeaway, we'll get more to Paul as well, but I, I think it will, at the top of this we should talk about Houston's defense still did a, they did a very good job to me. It wasn't as spectacular as the second and fourth quarters of game four but consistently they made the Warriors work hard for baskets and even though the Golden State got more open looks than they did most of game four I think it took a lot out yeah, of it did and they still forced them into 16 turnovers as well which was big the stats on that Houston ran 43 isos in this game per synergy and only and then had one post up so if you think of it as kind of i think of isos and post ups as somewhat similar uh especially when the warriors are posting up you know that's usually going to be kevin durant so it's kind of the same thing they did make an effort to get kd the ball below the foul line a lot more in this game so houston had 43 isos and golden state basically had 28 they had 12 post ups and 16 isos that's still way above where where they were uh golden state did at least creep over 50 percent of their field goals being assisted uh they had 18 assists uh, on 32 field goals and you know i i think one prediction that we both had about this series that has turned out to be wrong was we thought that james harden was gonna have to clearly be the best player in the series and i don't even know who you would say that is at this point maybe kevin durant i guess but he's had two rough games in a row here now uh he started off great in this game but then really faded down the stretch and so, uh, you know, really the MVP of the series has been the Rockets' defense as of now, I would say. And the Houston, again, only played seven guys, and we'll have to see how that gets affected by, by Chris Paul 
potentially missing time. But Eric Gordon, I thought, did a really nice job defensively on Steph Curry, just made him work for everything. And then Gordon, because he's so strong, he was able to attack or sorry, not be attacked by David West, tried to post him up at one point. Draymond, I think, tried to get him once. And he he just is a good point of resistance. He's not their best defensive player. They have a lot of capable defensive players. And I thought P.J. Tucker's effort, again, in this game, and Ariza did a nice job on Durant. But being able to go to bench guys, even Gerald Green, who can execute and do what you want, that was in stark contrast at moments to what the Warriors were having to turn to where they don't have two-way players coming off the bench. I thought the minutes distribution was somewhat interesting for Houston also. They actually played Paul and Harden 39 minutes, which wasn't as many as they played in Game 4, but Ariza and Tucker both uh, played 42. They brought Gordon in for 36 minutes, and Gordon, he uh, led the Rockets in scoring with 24 points, including 9 of 10 at the foul line and 2 three-shot fouls on pump fakes which were just enormous plays both uh, both of them to me looked like fouls the first one we didn't get a great look at but it looked like clay thompson kind of had his arm over the head of gordon and then he went through his arm so that's a foul and then the other time kd late in the clock let gordon get a little bit too much separation you probably want to make him drive that late in the clock uh because there's not really time to do much if you trust the help behind you but he gave him too much separation and then had to jump in the air. And we've seen KD certainly make that mistake before uh, in a Thunder uniform and sometimes in a Golden State uniform as well. So th- those were killer. And then just in general, Harden was 9 of 9 from the foul line, even though he was 5 out of 21. And they had a couple of these fouls, you know, late third, early fourth were kind of dubious. But I don't think you can blame that if you're Golden State because they got their share of dubious fouls too, like that one Eric Gordon foul on Curry. We didn't really see any contact there. But, you know, there was one play where KD reached in from the sideline and Harden did the Harden where he just extends his arm and brings the ball up through someone's arm. Then just there was a stretch there early in the fourth where the Rockets didn't get a field goal for like probably four or five minutes, but yet they still were scoring quite well because they were getting to the foul line. And most of those fouls were from mistakes by Golden State more than I thought it was you know, just great pressure on the offense. You got no choice or or on the defense. You got no choice but to follow. Yeah. One of those was Durant, like five seconds left on the shot clock, just reached on Chris Paul when Paul had absolutely nothing. And that was two free throws because Houston was already in the bonus. And those sorts of plays are absolute killers when you can bail out an offense that was flailing a little bit and can settle into good shots. And what was so, what's been so interesting to me about the series is that I think the Warriors have done a, a pretty good job, better than I expected of executing the no fouls during the key portions like they haven't done they haven't really fouled Harden on you know the the kind of the Harden move very often but then they still have these lapses like 24 seconds is a little bit too much for it and then the other place where they've had lapses that was absolutely gargantuan in this game is on the glass like there are times where they defend well for the entire possession and then just they don't get a guy, they, you know, miss a tip out or something like that. And so Houston ended up with eight offensive rebounds and a couple of those were just absolutely Yeah, killers. the Warriors were devastating in transition on the occasions that they could get out and run, but they didn't get out and run very often because even when Houston couldn't get the defensive or get the offensive board, they're getting hands on it, they're tipping it away, it would go out of bounds, it, it would get tipped around, they could get back and take the Warriors out of transition and P.J. Tucker, we've been talking about it since the first game of the year that these two teams played with one another. When they closed the game with Tucker at center, P.J. Tucker, his clutch offensive rebound, he's not a great offensive rebound rate overall, but he was awesome at the end of the game. We'll talk about some of the big plays that he made here. A couple other things that, that stuck out here. I thought that Golden State had a little bit different of an approach. One of it was to play more guys they started looney they went with jordan bell for 14 minutes looney played 22 david west was brought in i thought that west did pretty well in his minutes and i'm not sure at this point that like david west is any worse switching on to these guys than looney or bell frankly i thought he did a pretty good job they tried to limit his minutes mostly to the cp only minutes and they're able to make up ground during those times at the end of the first and the end of the third largely and I think like West is just so much better of an offensive player uh certainly than Looney and probably also uh than Bell although Bell is worlds better than Looney is uh they went with Quinn Cook as well pretty much exclusively again when Harden was off the floor the idea was we're gonna go with Cook West uh Bell played at the four some 
Livingston and KD was the lineup at the end of the first and third and they're just like hey we're gonna make this KD only time for three minutes let him try and score and then we'll come back with Curry Clay and green all of them at the start of the the fourth and, and the second and that i thought that was pretty decent they avoided getting killed in those minutes uh so that was one change in the strategy and then they also just did a better job of coming up with some things to attack the switches they did do a better job in certain sequences but then it, there were other times where it looked like they yeah. lost the thread a little bit and so then it would become the the kevin durant isolation showcase and something that i thought about a lot during this game as we were doing it on the twitter nba show is that line that I, I think it was Maury, might have been D'Antoni, about the Rockets being obsessed with the Warriors. And I think that the Warriors could have benefited from being a little bit more obsessed yeah. with the Rockets because they have not been prepared. Houston has run the exact same defense this entire season. You know, with, with Jeff Bezdelic, that they, they've been doing this the entire time. And yet their personnel, their approach, all of that was you know it's the adjustment period has been far too long for an opponent that is doing exactly what we expected yeah. defensively and they're executing houston i give houston immense credit for doing exactly what they should to the nth degree but this is not some infallible approach with perfect talent that is impossible to beat there are just ways to attack it and it requires coaching it requires discipline from the players and they're doing it at points you know like you've brought it up before in the context of atos but they're they're not really going okay this is how we have to handle it every single possession and a good example of that is that there have been long stretches where they just don't really go after james harden yeah, they went away from going at, at him again. Uh, I think a couple of things I want to say in response to that. Number one, it might be impossible to beat. This is pretty fucking good defense, man. I mean, like Minnesota was the number four offense. Other than one game, they completely shut down Minnesota in the first round. Utah had one game where they were able to slip guys to the rim in game two, the game that they won. Took that away. Utah just looked like a complete clown show uh, offensively for almost the entire series and now they're doing the same thing to the Warriors this is the third game in this series the Warriors haven't gotten to 100 points I mean this is supposed to be the greatest offense of all time and now I do think that part of the reason why the Warriors are struggling is that you know Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are a little bit older than they used to be you know they're, they're not quite the same guys Curry I don't think is in quite the same type of shape uh He's not as good as he was earlier in the year. He's not as good as he was two years ago. Um, even Clay Thompson, I'm not sure that he's the same guy that he was two years ago at this point in his career. So, I mean, and it's very, and Draymond Green, same thing, especially on offense. So, I, you know, I'm not going to say, like, these guys are all great players, but they're just little bits of slippage for them every year, as you'll expect as guys get into their late 20s, early 30s, and, and those have added up in this series i think that's a, a part of it but i think a bigger component is also that the warriors don't have that fifth guy yeah that i mean they're two and one in the series always with, somebody with on the floor i mean that's you know yeah they're they're two and one in the series with iguodala but also just the all those moments where like for example there was a play late where harden came and had a beautiful contest on on durant's pull up from the free throw line the reason that was possible is because sean livingston was on the floor and you don't have to guard sean livingston if he doesn't have the ball and there's not enough time on the shot clock for him to cut looney same thing there were possessions where looney was just he could be wherever he wanted on the floor and they just didn't even care and the rockets do not have those players you know whether the guys that can't shoot have gravity and that's really only Clint Capella he has gravity as a role man he's a great catcher he's an active screener and I think that's the other big thing that the Warriors haven't done in terms of tactics for the Rockets if you have a player that is not getting guarded by the other team there are actions you can involve them in that will open up teammates you know like there was one play where Looney screened for Clay Thompson because nobody was guarding Looney Harden was in the paint you those opportunities are going to present themselves because the 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 other player doesn't have the opportunity to recover so I think it's a little bit of, of, of all of those different forces put together. And that is the other full credit to the Rockets, though, is that they are so good offensively that some of the players who would make sense for the Warriors on their own offense are unplayable for defensive reasons. Yeah, uh, Nick Young is up there, maybe David West to, to some degree as well. JaVale? Yeah, JaVale McGee, you know, we knew he was going to he'd be unplayable against like most decent playoff teams. Um so no, that, that's a, a great point. In Houston, you know, it's not just that they're such so great at switching; they're actually really good at guarding the resultant isolations as well, right? By not guarding guys, by shrinking the floor, you know, they, they really make it difficult to score on them. And it's not that like, and they just have enough, especially because 
all these guys are like kind of thick and there's just not quite enough space out there to make those guys guard uh and with speed and beat them to the rim because then as you mentioned there's help and tucker had just i mean the guy can't jump over a phone book but he's getting rebounds and he's like playing great help defense and harden for all of his flaws is a good help well, and paul and ball yeah. pressure that's the other huge thing that pj tucker yeah. is doing i mean just making sure that making sure that whether his guy has the ball or not actually so it should just be pressure that it that it's going to take extra work and kevin durant kind of like his former teammate james harden is not great at handling that you know he's if you can deny him there were a few warriors possessions that got completely short-circuited because they're like okay our our thing is we're going to get the ball to kevin durant and then it took an extra five six seconds to get the ball to kevin durant and that is you know that's something that they can do and it's so impressive that houston has been able to keep that up with a seven-man rotation playing every other day because that is an element that you could expect to fall a little bit by the wayside, but through consistency of effort and purpose and these guys having great motors and, you know, and that, and that goes to the small guys as much or more than the big guys. Chris Paul has been huge in that, that they've been, that they haven't created the seams and they've actually diminished them by, by making those decisions take more well, time. And part of the reason they're able to save so much energy for defense is no one has to ever do anything on offense except for Harden or Paul, <laughs> right? Like it's just, it, yeah, it, it's an alternate version of what OKC did last year with Russell yeah, Westbrook. Yeah. Remember last year with Russell Westbrook in crunch time, they would play four defenders and Russ, and the other guys would be like, okay, we just have to go at it for whatever portion of the 24 seconds we're on defense, and then Russ will just take a shot. Like, there, there is merit to that if you have offensive players that are as good as Houston's offensive players, and, then every, and, and also that everybody gets back on defense. I think that's the other part of the Warriors not getting there in transition is that Houston has been able to you know battle on the offensive glass when it's appropriate do a nice job of also like tipping the ball and getting back but just making sure that there weren't these generally these four on two breaks or three on two breaks and hell even sometimes when they did get them like sean livingston passing the ball to clay thompson for a three which he then ended up bricking like there were times when the warriors mishandled uh, those too. golden state they only had seven steals in this game but they scored only 0.2 points per possession off of those seven steals so that's uh that's not very good uh they definitely threw some away i mean there was the two-on-one fast break where clay just you know probably could have gone in for a layup instead of just running out to the three-point he actually looked reasonably healthy uh in this game i didn't think that his injury had a big effect on things he ended up with 23 points on eight of 14 uh four or seven from three after a tough start you know there there's like plays where they just threw it ahead or threw it away or you know just the typical warriors fast break turnovers i mean it's almost better for them sometimes that they go to the three-point line on fast breaks because they're just going to turn it over if they try <laughs> try to get in uh any better than that well that's actually something i wanted to talk about in terms of turnovers well there was clay had one truly awful one in transition where he just threw the ball away but there were also two gargantuan turnovers on after timeout plays so one was in the first half where clay just threw up a kind of a floaty yeah. pass that Ariza stole and the, but, and the Rockets but it was all great pressure from the Rockets on both those plays oh yeah, yeah of course of course and then the other one was Draymond Green this was about six minutes to go he was they were deep in the corner Rockets did a great job pressuring also Curry was in the far corner and never left the far corner I guess they were gonna probably work it over to him at some point or he was gonna break off on the screen and they couldn't get the ball to Looney so Draymond just kind of threw it towards Kevin Durant Kevin Durant couldn't catch it James Harden got an open dunk so I, I think on that second play those sorts of plays uh, that Kerr like we saw with Brad Stevens in game three uh, against Philly didn't realize that the ball was so close to the end line uh, on his sideline out of bounds it didn't really like draw something up to get somebody open um that because that was after clay we were joking that clay like called that time out when he was stuck in the corner 47 and a half hours too late <laughs> after game four so yeah no those those were killer plays i mean they're just and for houston i mean you'd be hard pressed to think of like what key mistakes like that did they have you know, I mean, that Houston had 10 turnovers and Golden State had 16 in this game. So, and Houston didn't have as many bad fouls as Golden State did. They didn't have as many bad turnovers. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, another thing that was killer too was Quinn Cook missing all three of his wide open threes, including, you know, we're going to do possession by possession at the end, but he had two wide open threes, one to end the first quarter and one to end the third, neither of which he was able to make in the corner. 
Yeah, and on both of those plays, you know, the and, and included the third one that we'll talk about, the Warriors made the right pass, and Quinn Cook has been a successful three-point three shooter, not only in the NBA with the Warriors this past year, but also in his years in the G League, and it's the same three-point line, obviously. And he just he just missed all three of those, and he was a little bit he was a little bit antsy, and that actually ties in with something. Oh no, we're doing the we're doing the stuff later. I'll 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 bring it up then. It was a rotational thing I noticed late in the game, but we'll it'll be in the part we talk about. Yeah. So just some overall stats on this game, uh, and a couple of notes that I had too before we go into the play to play. Uh, Harden tied a record for most three point attempts in a game without making one. Uh, he was 0 for 11. There are five players who have gone 0 for 11 on threes in a game. Harden, Steph Curry, I think that was against the Lakers a couple years ago. Uh, Trey Burke, Antoine Walker, and John Starks, famously uh, in that game in the 1994 finals. Um, yeah. And I believe Harden has missed his last 20 three-pointers. That's bad. Uh, and he's going to have to hit. Sub- suboptimal, but they won both yeah, those games. No, that's crazy. So. <laughs> and he's he's gonna have to hit a lot of, i mean because I, I was like oh like can he hit these step backs uh in the playoffs the answer so far has been no largely other than in, in game ones but it, it just hasn't mattered because their defense has been so good uh, uh in the second half dan feldman had this stat neither team had more than a six point lead it was played between rockets plus six and warriors plus four 15 lead changes and nine ties in the second half so it certainly was competitive if not incredibly well played and we talked about this on on the twitter show too that like this schedule especially in the western conference every other day at games with a four-hour flight on every off day starting with game four i mean that's just it's not conducive to great basketball yeah and especially the first half of this game was really just rough like there were you know weird turnovers and guys missing threes that you would normally expect to make them and that happens in these series and regrettably one of the other effects of limited rest and all the travel that's involved in the high stakes of the games and heavy workloads is injuries and we've seen those in this series and we'll probably see more of them sadly enough golden state tried to go to steph curry and clay thompson pick and roll and they got a couple of looks off that Uh, curry got a a three i think thompson got a nice pick and pop three but the problem is that clay slips it every single time and so the rockets were able to adjust to that he needs to vary it up and actually set the screen every once in a while too and kind of keep them guessing a little bit yeah and he's sturdy enough to set screens like this is not a slight i mean steph curry sets good screens like he clay could do a better job i agree i mean golden state definitely had some principles and and, you know kerr was very optimistic after the game i i totally believe golden state that they believe that they can still win the series and we'll talk about chris paul's hamstring at the end here but uh they might be right about that if chris paul is going to be compromised but i mean and we've talked about this before about how really you know there's 20 different things that you can do to try to beat switching defense but you can't do it ever any of those every time because they'll just figure it out you know you have to catch them by surprise and so one of those things which they really tried to do was what off a pick and roll when a switch occurred just continue attacking that guy you know really hard almost treat the guy like he's playing conventional pick and roll defense and attack him and they got were able to get good stuff on harden didn't really iso on harden as much and, and harden i mean he's as the series has gone on, he's gotten better and better, I think, uh, defending isolations. And so I didn't think that he, so he had some good D a couple times on KD as well. Um, so here are some of the things they tried. First possession of the game, they swing it around with the Rockets denying. They tried to get KD back door and great job by Ariza. He got his foot on it to create a violation that was going to be a dunk. Uh, so, you know, they, they had something dialed up there. They had that Clay Steph pick and roll. They had a, a plays. Usually they would have Harden's man come up to try to screen so that Curry could go right at him. That's the play that they tried to run at the very end of the game when Curry missed that floater. Good defense by Harden on that play, by the way. Um, you know, they tried just like slipping screens. They tried screening their own man. They tried, there's, I mean, that's not even probably, you know, half of the things that they tried that some of them are escaping me right now, but it's just, you know, you have to have a plan on almost every different possession. I think really with the way switching defense is now predominated, coaches almost have to have like a whole separate offense just for attacking switches. Like you should have 20 different set plays that you can run with different options off of them. So they can't key in on it. And, you know, and and maybe you just have like... uh, a way to signal as you're running up to set the screen of like what you're going to do ahead of time so you can kind of anticipate and it's almost like a pass pattern in football where you know where you're going and the defense doesn't you know that like stuff like that i mean i think there's you're almost are going to have to acquire a whole new way of playing against switches 
and especially going early is another big part of that because otherwise you're just going to get stuck in these isos and against a good team like houston that shrinks the floor the way they do you're just not gonna be able to score you know and it's been uh i I just can't say enough about this rockets defense it's it's truly been incredible you ready to get into the crunch yeah we'll pick it up at 92 89 it was with uh, 212 left, a Golden State 24-second violation. This is one of those examples you talked about where P.J. Tucker made it too hard for Durant to catch the ball. They spent all this time trying to get him the ball, and then they didn't even throw it to him either because he didn't look like he was open, and he had the mismatch, and then no one was able to get a shot. And it's also a big weakness for Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, as great offensive players as they are, is they really struggle to create something with under five on the shot clock if they're just stuck. You know, KD can do that. Um, but he's really the only guy in the Warriors who's capable of doing that, you know, because they like those guys just don't have the size to get a shot off. And maybe, you know, Steph could have done that two years ago, but he's not able to create that separation off the dribble for a jump shot now. And, and they're really overplaying him. So that, that was a weakness a, a bunch of times late. I mean, like when Golden State gets under five on the shot clock, like they never get a good shot, it seems like. Yeah. And I mean, you could, there are a lot of different examples you could point to there. So they have that. So, well, here I, I, I I've mean, got yeah, it. All the, I, I know my, my notes are not great here. No, no, you, of, of where we're picking it up. So, no, go, go ahead. Sorry. What? Well, no, so, so what happens is they get the twenty-four second violation, and then Houston does their own turn of wasting time getting started, which was weird because they what happened was they started with the matchup they wanted, and I think they weren't really prepared to handle that. Yeah, I mean the. They're like bringing other guys up to screen and switching. And they're like, wait a minute, where is Steph Curry? Oh, he's on James Harden in the corner. And I thought Curry did an unbelievable job on James Harden in this game. You know, I think both of those guys, Curry and Harden, have, you know, neither of them is probably going to guard LeBron James. But other than LeBron James, I think that like both of those guys have done a pretty damn good job uh, of guarding with, you know, obviously great help behind them uh, as the series has gone on. Like Curry has not been really that much of a liability and I think he's done one of the better jobs of the Warriors on Chris Paul also. Uh, so Curry was on Harden there and then did a nice job of denying Harden. So Paul got switched on to Curry at the very end, tried to go one-on-one against him. Uh, Curry played good D and then Kevin Durant was able to come over and block it. But P.J. Tucker in what would become a theme just gets his hand on the offensive board. So And that creates a shot clock violation, but no fast break for, for Golden State. Uh then they tried to start off with KD in the post, threw it to Green up top after Green's man had helped on KD, and that, that was Tucker. Tucker tried to get back onto Green, and Green, another thing that you can do against these switches is fake a DHO, especially when it's someone like Green, who they expect to hand off to a big threat like Curry. Fake the DHO, get to the rim. Green somehow missed the layup, and in what was an incredible play, managed to get back and tip in his own miss before it even ever hit the ground. I mean, he was like going off a one foot all the way into the baseline and he was able to recover and get right back somehow uh, as no rocket was able to get into position for the defensive rebounds. That was an amazing play by him uh, after he blew an easy layup. So it was 92-91 at that point. And then, I mean, so this was another one of those kind of plays where the Rockets moved it all the way down. But then what what was different in this game for the Rockets than some of the other ones was that Harden when he kind of wasn't really getting separation, he got to the middle of the floor. And by getting to the middle of the floor, it opened up a universe of options. And so what ha- what ended up on the backside of the play was Clay Thompson had to make an impossible choice. He had to choose between either leaving Eric Gordon open above the break or leaving Trevor Reza open at the corner. And he chose to guard to stay closer to Ariza Gordon gets the gets the three above the break and just nails yeah and that was huge because it put Houston up two possessions 95 91 and Kevin Durant came over with good help um but like you said it just it it put him in a very difficult situation with the floor spread like that and a lot of people talk about oh this is isolation basketball but it's so much different than it was 10 years ago when Kobe Bryant was trying to do all this iso stuff because the floor is spread now you know so like it actually can work pretty well. I mean, I'm shocked that both of these teams have been able to defend it as well as they have in this series. But with the floor spread like this, yeah. And guess what? If if the if either one of these teams, well, one of these teams will make the NBA Finals, I don't think the other team is going to defend it as well. And Boston has been wonderful so far in these playoffs. But these two teams stress test defenses more than anyone Boston has faced. I'm actually starting to think that if Boston wins that series... Um, which is not at all a foregone conclusion yet. But if they win that series, whoever comes out of this series is going to be just so beat up and tired. There's only two days 
between the end of game seven and the finals we could see boston give that team more of a fight than we thought because they're just so young i know boston is will be in a seven game series themselves if they'll have an extra day of rest and they also just have so much athleticism I, i think actually it could be possible like if you're boston why wouldn't you just switch everything the same way that the rockets have at this point against golden state with some of the athletes they i mean they arguably boston has better defensive personnel than houston does even if maybe not as much experience obviously well, we can talk about that series when we yeah. get to it. I, I have I yeah, have some thoughts, yeah. but we'll, we'll, there's plenty more to even talk about in this game. So at this point, the Rockets are up 95 to 91. The Warriors call a timeout, and the Warriors end up getting not what they expected. Well, Kevin Durant posted up on Chris Paul. They got that switch, and then the Rockets, especially in the second half, did an awesome job of forcing KD to the middle and then bringing help over. And KD threw a couple of bad passes late to guys who weren't really open in those situations he is uh i mean ben taylor pointed this out when he did kevin durant's greatest of all time profile that katie is not the greatest passer I and mean, he's gotten a lot better to be sure uh but you know when he's really on the move and attacking in a one-on-one situation he's not the greatest passer he doesn't see guys that well but he made a good pass in this situation as james harden came over and queen cook was wide open in the corner he wanted in some foreshadowing absolutely zero part of that shot so he threw it to draymond green who is both a not in the corner and b a much worse three-point shooter than queen cook but draymond green uh has a little bit bigger balls than queen cook does and he nailed that left wing three i mean and that's when you're down four in that situation getting him an open three that's a great shot even if he's not the greatest shooter like just the value of a three when you're down by four even with only about a minute left is so massive there so then we had a play that was hard for us to to do as on the twitter nba show because we had no audio what happened was clay was defending harden did a beautiful job of staying on harden and not letting him get to the basket harden got to about the free throw line and what happened was harden kind of tried to do I guess a, a jump stop he was trying to gather and Clay tipped the ball. But what happened was the ref on the backside couldn't see the tip and whistled it. So whistled it as being a travel because if Clay hadn't touched it, it would have been a travel. And then that led to the ref's ruling basically that it was an inadvertent whistle and letting the Rockets keep the ball. And it's, you know, it's nobody's fault. That's just the, the way that it can happen. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, it, that's the that most led just to Houston. result. You know, I mean, it, it really is. Yeah, it, it certainly is. It certainly is. And then because, I mean, you don't want to call it like a turnover or anything like that. And Houston still had control of the ball. So it wasn't a circumstance. I mean, they were in, but by getting it as an as an ATO, as opposed to Harden being kind of stifled with about, I think it was like 12 or 14 left on the shot clock. They got in, they got another chance at it, but they didn't end up using, they didn't end up scoring on that chance. Well, and for any Golden State fan, it's like, oh, we got Rod in that play. No, actually... That was probably the best thing that could happen in the series because uh, they had, still had Quinn Cook on the floor. They, they had repl- Livingston played most of the end of the game as we had called for him to do, uh, rather than Looney. Looney got lit up for a couple of points, like middle of the fourth, actually, when maybe you could argue that Livingston still should have been in the game. Maybe they thought Livingston needed a rest, or but you know it, he, he got scored on in very Festus Azili game seven like fashion, and then had to be taken out of the game. So I, you know, I thought Livingston played good defense in there, but they went with Cook for some more shooting, and Cook's spreading the floor on that Draymond through is important because Livingston wouldn't have even been standing out there at the three point line. I think that's like it just it's so disappointing to me that Sean Livingston just won't take three pointers because he like I think he actually can like make them. You see him make them in practice, but nonetheless, uh, so Cook is still out there. It's Chris Paul against Cook. They couldn't sub because it was an inadvertent whistle, not a dead ball, and Cook actually played great defense on Paul. And Chris Paul went down as he tried to shoot a fadeaway in the lane. He was on the ground. The camera panned away. We couldn't see what happened. But I saw him down on the ground and looked to be grabbing at the back of his right hamstring. And so it's a five on four for Golden State. Draymond Green drives. Good help from Tucker. Throws it to Queen Cook. Pass right on the money. Cook was so nervous he bobbled it and then was not able to hit the three. And a great job by Houston getting the rebound with it in a five on four and then Paul had managed to at least get up but for some reason Houston had two timeouts they didn't call a timeout Paul I don't know why he wouldn't have called a timeout uh, given the state that he was in but they run the time down Houston hardened another miss three it caroms off the side of the room and this is the play where you know we didn't know whose ball it was we thought it would be Houston and ended up being Golden State's uh but Tucker getting his hand in the rebound even though it was Golden State ball 
if Golden State gets that, gets that rebound, it's another five on four. Chris Paul's not going to be able to play defense again. So, yeah. Right, and and this was another play where Draymond Green didn't box out P.J. Tucker. He he ball watched instead of boxing out. I, I When I rewatched it, I noticed this. And they if you know all, all you have if you get between him and the man then you get a, a five on four it could have even been like a, a five on three depending on how depending on how that circumstance broke out in a game where you are only down by one point so they gave the ball to golden state i i thought that was a little dubious did you get a chance to look at that replay again i didn't see a good replay from the other angle i mean i st- my first read on it was that it was out of, off dream on green but i mean I assume that the ref who called it had a be- had a better angle than the hard camera side. So, but I know I didn't get a clean look at it. So they inbounded the ball after advancing it. One timeout remaining at this point, and it was that same play: Curry pick and roll to try to get him on the move, and he just didn't stop at all. Once Harden switched on him, he kept going. Harden did well to slide his feet, and then P.J. Tucker, yet another great help defense play. They also got help on the weak side on Green, who was under the rim. Quinn Cook was left wide open on the weak side, but. So that's the other thing yeah. I wanted to bring up, that even after his missed three and there was a, a, a stoppage because the ball went out of bounds that they could have done a sub, Kerr went with Cook instead of Nick Young in that offense-only circumstance. Because you know if he misses the shot that you're going to foul because that's what ended up happening. Yeah, but the problem is that Nick Young can't actually be trusted to run the fucking play. Oh, I, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying it's I, I thought it was notable considering Cook's high profile mistake earlier and Nick Young only played a couple of seconds in this game. So I have to write about him in the report cards anyway. Yeah, we'll, we'll write about how I just he was thought that was, I thought that was in interesting. the game in, in the last couple of minutes. They couldn't trust him to run the play. And by the way, Gerald Green. I'll phrase it more. I'll phrase it more artfully. But Gerald yeah. Green continues to dominate Nick Young in uh, that matchup. Three of five for Green. He actually we talked about those Rockets missed threes in the first quarter. He hit some massive threes uh, early on in this game, like difficult ones too. That those are some others that made up for some of the easy ones that they missed. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's get back yeah. to the Curry shot. So Curry shot a. That was a, it was a tough kind of like running floater. The box score has it listed as being a seven foot shot. I thought oh, no, it was a no, little further they, out than they that. They are so bad at those. I mean, and, and so the, yeah, I thought it was like yeah, 10 the, to 12. The reason that is, is that. Was that where you landed? Well, the, the reason that they mess this up all the time is because there's actually like a touch screen that they touch and then it just automatically tells you how far away it is um, where it was on the floor. And so they just put their finger i think just in the wrong spot because like that you know that was at least like a 14 footer you know i mean like he was out well outside of the lane and the lane in and of it like there's no way it could be seven feet because if you go in a direct line from the basket to the outside of the lane that's eight feet the lane itself is 16 feet wide so there's no way that could have been seven feet when he took it from outside the lane uh but anyway it was a tough shot you know steph curry is a great floater maker Hasn't had the touch from that as much when he's since he's come back. Draymond Green, it rims off. Draymond Green made a great play to basically shove Clint Capella in the back as he ran in from the side. But in a, yet another thing that I've been railing against all postseason for all these teams, you're in a must-foul situation here. Like, the other team is very unlikely to push it all the way down the other end of the, the court and score everybody and their brother as soon as that shot goes up should be sprinting to the offensive glass and kd was just standing at the three-point line uh you know maybe you have one guy wait at the three-point line if you get the rebound you can throw it out to him uh quinn cook was just standing outside as well so draymond gets his hand on it and we were like oh why didn't he grab it but i think the reason why is because he was engaged with his other hand in the back of capella kind of giving him a little bit of a forearm so he had to just tap it out and it seemed like all of those warriors taps in this game just like went awry you know and this was one too it went right to trevor Ariza, who did a great job of getting between he uh between the ball and kevin durant and then they had to follow Ariza, and he made one out of two uh but then the warriors rebounding bugaboos again came to be an issue and this was another example of a weird kind of personnel decision so the warriors brought in kavan looney ostensibly to to get that rebound but they didn't go full bore for it because kevin durant not a great defensive rebounder they do they the warriors have five bit centers on their active on their active roster including three that played in this game so instead it's durant and kavan looney that are on one side and Looney, Looney's in position to get the rebound, but can't completely control it. I think that was Capella that was on that side and just basically n- knocked the ball loose. 
And then as they knock the ball loose, Draymond Green goes over, as you should, to secure the ball, but he's falling out of bounds, and so he passes the ball, and then gets to Durant, they call a timeout with 6.9, I think it was, left. But because Draymond Green made that pass, because, because of the whole circumstance, the Warriors were not allowed to advance the ball. Yeah, and even more damaging, that whole sequence took three seconds. Uh, so it's, it went from 10 seconds down to 6.9. So they're, they inbounded on the side. And the other issue was that Houston had a foul to give. So Golden State knew they had to go really fast and force Houston to take that foul. But then they weren't going to have a chance to call another timeout afterwards either. So they get it to Steph Curry pretty decently on the move. And certainly the play was not, I think, immediately to throw it ahead to Draymond Green. But Curry saw him and he was breaking free from Eric Gordon. Gordon kind of fell asleep a little bit. And I thought Green would have really had an opening and he realized that too, but that led to him just not catching the ball. He just fumbled it. Ariza was able to recover again, or no, maybe it was Gordon who was able to recover again, and Green fouled him, but the game was over at that point with 2.4 left. Yeah, and it was Green, a former football player, not looking the ball into his hands. That's really what happened on the play. He started looking ahead yeah. at the driving lane because it looked like he did have a driving lane, and it was just a little bit off of where he thought it was going to be. So the ball, but it was a it was a perfectly aligned pass by Curry, and so then he, and what's so crazy about it in that circumstance is the most likely thing that's going to happen to Draymond. I'm not saying you know he's he's an incredibly smart player, but the most likely thing that is going to happen to you in that circumstance is you're going to get fouled. So like catching it, securing it, and then you're probably going to get fouled is, is you know, the the 100% chance of that is is better. I'm not saying it was a dumb play or anything like that. It's it's a human it's a human mistake to be completely sure. Well, I mean, but, let me interrupt you here. You know, like, the I, this isn't football. Like, you, in basketball, you don't look the ball in your hands. Like, you just trust your ability to catch it. It's a round ball. It's coming to you. You kind of look up a little bit. I mean, like, I, I've never once looked the ball into my hands on a basketball court. So I, I don't think people really do that. Uh, but, you know, he... I, it might have been that he was just moving yeah, forward. Yeah, I mean, it, it was more just that, that he, he was or... he like looked up to try to transition into his drive already, and and then just lost it. And Green actually has done that before. Longtime Warriors watchers will remember yep. that in their first loss at home in the 2016 season to the Celtics, he had a chance off of a pick and roll to attack, and just like did the same thing, just like tried to catch the ball and like knocked it ahead, and ended up uh, losing it after the Warriors had made a great comeback to to get back in the game so that was uh that was pretty ugly and now golden state is down three games to two but the pallor of or say that the paul i should say of chris paul's injury now hangs over this series it does and we don't have any specific information in terms of whether like whether he's going to play or not mark spears did say that he saw chris paul and paul told him i'll be all right and that he basically said oh yeah about Game six, Mark didn't say whether that's playing or not, but hamstring injuries, we've talked about it at length on Dunked On various things over the years, including early in the Dunked On tenure with Chris Paul, that these are incredibly challenging injuries. And, you know, the the other important part, and we had a great appreciation for it in this game, the Rockets need him on both ends of the floor, but I would say especially offensively because he helps create so much for other people and takes some off of James Harden's plate. Yeah, absolutely. And Eric Gordon has actually been an underrated isolationist in this series, but he's going to have to do a lot more of that uh, and probably against a lot better defenders if Paul can't go. So you you referenced that previous Paul hamstring injury, which I think is always a good rule of thumb. You'll Paul watchers will remember this legendary performance. He hit that floater in game seven to beat the Spurs in the second quarter he, he suffered a hamstring injury but was able to return and actually was he couldn't really run but he was still able to move at least and like and play defense and was able to be effective down the end of that game you know they also had Blake Griffin that game and also the, uh but you'll recall then after playing on that and he could still move after this one remember he couldn't move after this hamstring injury uh that he then missed the next two games now it was the start of the series they won i think game one in that series against houston and so they felt like hey all right maybe we can be safe we'll let's have him for the rest of the series make sure he's a hundred percent so they probably were a little more conservative in that situation than they will be here but this also appears to be a worse injury than that one was and because he really just like went down couldn't move it was a report that he was struggling to put his sock on uh, which would make sense if your hamstring is injured, you got to reach down 
uh, that's going to stretch out your hamstring. So that's that's certainly something that'd be a problem. He left the locker room without a limp, but you know, usually a hamstring injury, you're not going to be limping just from walking. Uh, so I don't know the exact severity of the injury, but given the fact, I mean, I can't remember the last time that someone suffered a hamstring injury where like they couldn't even move around on the court at all. I mean, he he must have been desperate to get back on defense. He would have done it if he could have, and then was able to play two days later. I mean, I, I can't recall a single time that that's happened perhaps this will be better than we think it is but to me i don't think i would even especially because your chances of winning in oakland are not that great i don't think that a hobbled paul increases your chances of winning in oakland that much either flying is not good for these injuries especially when it's so based on swelling i might even consider just not even putting him on the plane for for game six uh I'm not there. Maybe it's not as bad as I thought. Maybe he has a real chance to play in game six. I don't know. But I, especially because they have the other chance. And it's also kind of similar to the decision that the Spurs made last year when Kawhi Leonard had to sit out game six, but then, you know, in theory could have come back for game seven, but they ended up blowing them out in Houston, which was a very weird result. So I I think I probably would would not even put him on the plane, given what I know now. Their doctors may know more, uh, but based on what i know now that seems like the safest course action and try and get him ready to play you know 30 minutes in game seven i agree with you we there's a lot as you said that we don't know but two flights also the rest concerns of that i mean because the you know they're playing the playing a a night game on on saturday in oakland and then having to get back and then playing on on monday if if should there be a game seven like I, i just don't see the benefit as being worth the downside and remember the other thing if chris paul is such a competitor they're considering playing him hamstring injuries are extremely dangerous for re-injury so you might actually want to protect chris paul from himself here and avoid the possibility of like oh i can do it like it's a if it's a judgment call at all don't play it because they need him not only to theoretically to win a game seven but they need him in the, in the next series like i mean it, it would be a massive change if he re-injured it and then was unavailable even if they made the finals for any portion of the finals um another thing to consider too is that you know chris paul in the previous iterations of his career is kind of able to get by on guile you know he can run pick and roll he can be slower he can get the guy on his back he can go to his mid-ranger well now the game is completely changed because he's got to isolate on every play he's got to make and that it was during an isolation of course uh, that he injured himself to begin with and so he's got to make just really strong hard attacks starting and stopping in the exact sort of of movements that can exacerbate a hamstring injury or as we saw cause it in the first place and so number one you mentioned the chance for injury and number two just if he's not at 100 percent, the chances for him to be effective are so much lower i think than if the warriors were playing a conventional pick and roll defense now maybe paul just gets out there and he plays defense with his smarts and he just tries to hit some threes and they just you know give the ball to harden every time but i i just i'm not sure that a hobbled chris paul helps them enough in game six to be worth the risk especially the risk of re-entry or the risk of just you know being it just not getting better you know it's not going to get better over uh game six you know this is a 33 year old guy this isn't Jalen brown who you know deserves a ton of credit for his ability to play in a hamstring but i i'm just i'm very concerned at it and and it really it really just sucks like it really sucks that this happened again to chris paul i mean he's if you think about his career 2012 i think he suffered a hamstring injury actually and they ended up getting swept by the spurs in the second round probably wouldn't have beat them anyway uh 2013 Blake Griffin gets a high ankle sprain before game five of that series against Memphis. They lose 14 and 15. They actually had a healthy team and they blew both of those in pretty spectacular fashion. But then 2016 breaks his hand in the series against Portland when they're up 2017, Blake Griffin goes out uh, and Chris Paul loses again in the first round. So he's really had a pretty darn tough time of it here. Um, but, you know, this series and the minutes that have had to be played, they didn't play him that many minutes. He only played, thir- would have been on pace, played 39. But this, you can certainly say that maybe this load is just a little bit too much. Uh, and that that was a big part of it. You know, we see these injuries happen at the end of games and just like what he was able to do and the load that he had to carry in this game offensively. Uh, you know, that certainly could be a part of what the breakdown was. But I'm not saying there's some other option. That's just, that's what you got to do in this series. The series is just an unbelievable war of attrition. And we'll see what 
if anybody can come back or look better in game six, like Iguodala, I mean, he didn't play again, but if he comes back, then that would be a big swing for the Warriors just to get fewer minutes for the other guys in the rotation. Clay Thompson will presumably be, yeah, I don't think it was limited too much in, in this game, but, you know, a couple days out, you know, Curry, same thing, you know, he's still a couple days, couple days away from, from the injuries as they transpired. So my expectation is that we will get a game seven on Memorial Day. It would, I think the way that that does not happen is James Harden has one of the best games of his life. I think that's the most likely. Or the Rockets, their other guys just hit all of the threes imaginable and they play defense. If Chris Paul is unavailable, the most likely sub in is Luke Richard and Bob Mute, which nukes their offense to an extent, but also might even solidify their defense more just because they'd have so many other guys that can, that can defend, another guy to throw at Kevin Durant. So it could be a really nasty game either as a blowout or just like a low scoring one if Chris Paul can't play or is limited. But either way, I still would have the Warriors as as meaningful favorites in that game. Yeah, and you never know. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if the Warriors if Chris Paul isn't playing the Warriors lose at home? I and mean, what what like and that would just be oh. what a disaster that would end up being. Um but yeah for for Golden State, you know, I do think they have the advantage if Iguodala can return i mean his absence has been massive if andre guadala had been healthy the last two games the series would likely be over i certainly think that he would be have made the difference in what have been very close losses in these last two games and the warriors seemed like a confident group and even it seemed like steve kerr with some of his rotational decisions you know he wasn't going to go 100 miles an hour for this win he was going to go 90 miles an hour and you know he played some guys off the bench a little bit more didn't run his guys to that many minutes at least early but then they ended up playing pretty you know green was 42 thompson was 43 you know those guys ended up playing a a ton of minutes when you know it looked like they could get this game but it seemed like you know they're trying to kind of treat this as a you know a three game series and they lost game one so the, the the warriors are certainly capable of winning two straight and you know i wouldn't say I would still say that the Rockets are favorites because they only need to win one more game. But given Paul's health status, I mean, this is, you know, I'd still give the the Warriors like a 40% chance of winning the series potentially. But we still don't know about Iguodala's health either. So that's that's another concern. But uh, I I can't wait to see what happens. We'll be in the building uh, on Saturday night for that one. Yeah, I mean, it's. I talked before the game we were leading in the Twitter NBA show that I thought today was the most important, uh, in terms of pregame, most important game in the NBA since game seven in 2016 i do not think game six will top this one but of course a theoretical game seven would yeah and we could see if it gets away from houston early that everyone just kind of punts a little bit especially if paul doesn't play and i think you know for houston you might be wise to kind of if james harden doesn't have it early to kind of just not push that hard and you know that's not really in mike d'antoni's dna but to just say hey you know what like let's get back to a game seven at home here and hope that James Harden will be able to carry us home in that one um what are they going to do Houston if Paul can't play they said Eric Gordon will probably be you know their other ball handler he'll probably go into the starting lineup we might see more Gerald Green just to get some offense on the floor maybe they'll unearth Ryan Anderson you know that'll be interesting to see whether they do or not or but Mbot Mute seems like the guy who most likely is, is yeah. going to play more. maybe a little more a little more Nene, maybe just to well, just to get a little bit and, more. and especially you know it might just sort of be a truce with steve Kerr. like okay if you're gonna play david west we're gonna play Nene. you know <laughs> but but yeah. you know what you know what though danny like capella is only playing 27 minutes so the, and and they're playing tucker at center the rest of the time so there's really no advantage to playing yep. Nene. that just like saves capella more minutes which he, he can play more minutes anyway so I think it's really yeah I, I I I wouldn't be surprised though to see it just because your rotation gets so out of whack if Chris Paul can't go that you need you just need a little bit of yeah. different stuff on the floor and and Nene's not bad with the ball in his hands you know especially compared to Mbamute if Mbamute still can't finish layups so I wouldn't be surprised well, at all to see yeah. it but again that's you know it's ancillary well, stuff your other problem the is the Rockets decision. too is you basically got two guys on the team who can dribble now you know you got you got yes, hard that's the and big, Gordon, that's the big and so especially the way that they run offense and with the Warriors switching everything, like you're gonna now, you've only at least Gordon was giving them like a third guy who could attack every once in a while. And they always had at least two of those well, and, guys in the game. And think about how much the Warriors can trap because remember that if those are the only two guys that can dribble, that means they're gonna have to stagger them as well. Yeah. Because they'll, they'll, that means there'll be a lot of minutes where Gordon is playing and Harden is not, and vice versa. So yeah, it'll it'll be hard if that's what ends up happening. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully Chris Paul, you know, has some miracle spray and he's 100 percent for Game Six, but. We'll yeah, see. and I mean, they really, the only other two guys on the bench are Aaron Jackson and Joe Johnson, who can, 
do much. I think, you know, Joe Johnson is uh, certainly going to hurt their defense if they have to play him, but maybe they're going to feel like, hey, we got to play this guy. But, you know, Joe Johnson isn't going to be able to do anything against the Warriors either, most likely. You know, I mean, he's uh, he had a terrible series against them last year with the Jazz when he was in a lot better shape and, and coming off a great series. So I, I do think that for Houston, it's going to be so difficult for them to score. And even in this game, you know, they, it was taking miracle shots from Chris Paul, just like it took miracle shots from him in game four. Uh, and I was skeptical that he could do it again. He was six and 19. He did manage 20 points though, which in this game was actually a, a pretty good offensive performance. All right. Should we, uh, talk a little bit about our, not sponsor exactly is we're more want to sponsor them. And that's uh team Rubicon, a charity that we've been looking for, for a long time to find a way to give back to our community with dunked on, uh, to become involved with team rubicon is a disaster relief organization that pairs returning veterans with natural disasters uh, that just occurred and bring them into the organization using the skills that they've acquired in the military to work uh, towards disaster relief and, and you know a lot more about them than i have since you've been involved with them since uh, 2012 with your donations i have been and it's a great organization also because so it can help give purpose to these veterans that are coming back. It also is a great way to use their skills, but also they're providing this labor, this highly skilled labor to these communities that have just been devastated by a natural disaster. And you think about all of the financial cost that comes with that of recovery, of rebuilding, infrastructure costs, and they're getting this high quality work free of cost. And Team Rubicon is connecting these capable veterans with emergency response like emergency response people and everything like that and beyond the financial costs that come from it they can be underserved communities it can affect anybody it can be uh an, an area that's that you know is affected by a tornado or it can be a hurricane or an earthquake there's something that can hit almost everywhere and team rubicon makes it a goal of being able to help whoever is affected so what do you get started with them if you want to do a, a donation or volunteer or just learn more about what they're doing team rubicon usa.org slash cap space is that url team rubicon usa.org or you can text the word cap space to the five digit number 87872 once again team rubicon usa.org slash cap space or text the word cap space to 87872 so the all nba teams came out today and here is your eh, bi-monthly or so disclaimer of how completely ridiculous it is that media voting actually affects how much money people can make and therefore what the transactions of the NBA will be. Um, but if you want to read off who actually made it, uh, I think that would be a good place to start here. So on the first team, the guards were James Harden and Damian Lillard, forwards Kevin Durant and LeBron James, center Anthony Davis. So Anthony Davis was first team all defense as a power forward and first team all nba as a center i support that i did the exact same thing with my ballot but that's still really you know that's encouraging second team guards russell westbrook demar Derozan, forwards Giannis and lamarcus aldridge center joel Embiid, third team guards stephen curry victor oladipo forwards jimmy butler paul george center carl anthony towns yeah so a few consequences out of this we can talk about the merits of those teams in a moment ad getting first team over joel Embiid. The Sixers and Embiid, one of the unique aspects of that contract, including some of the non-guarantees uh, based on potential injuries to his foot and back, was that if he got MVP or made first-team All-NBA, he would get 30% of the salary cap. He was eligible, would have been eligible if he were signing a new contract now or if he negotiated it differently, that by making second-team All-NBA, he would have been eligible for 30% of the salary cap. However, that is not what they negotiated. And so by not getting first-team All-NBA by Anthony Davis, you could argue that DeMarcus Cousins' injury, making Davis more of a center, and also contributing to him just completely blowing up in the second half of the year, may have cost Joel Embiid uh, $29 million uh, for 30% of the salary cap, rather than, or 25% of the salary cap rather than 30%. Uh, and then the other interesting qualification is carl anthony towns is the third team center he now would be eligible to sign a rookie extension for up to 30 percent of the salary cap and there's no he's net he is eligible right now so there's no issue of oh he has to make it again and it's contingent they can negotiate up to 30 percent. and with the luxury tax issues for minnesota that we talked about that's now basically presumably they're going to have to just pay him that 30 percent or pretty close to it and 
you know he's certainly a player who projects to be worth that if they have to pay him that 30 percent. that's another five million dollars basically in room that they've lost under the tax now and then eight percent raises each year off that extra five right. million dollars as well yeah that's right so a couple other just kind of yeah go ahead oh a I want to mention some of the other contractual yeah. ones. Since neither Clay Thompson nor Draymond Green made an All-NBA team, those guys are now not eligible for a designated veteran. Like, this year doesn't count towards it. Clay would have been eligible this year. I think Draymond would have been next yeah. summer. But now he has to qualify next year to be eligible. So he would have been automatically because he was uh, second or third team last year. So that theoretically could make the money easier for the Warriors. And then... Well, the other one that was financial was off of the all-defensive teams. That was that Rudy Gobert got a $500,000 bonus for all-defensive first team, but that was already counted as likely, so it doesn't affect Utah's, you know, the books, and now that was already going to be treated as likely for next year. So we had a crap ton of designated player veteran extensions or, or contracts. I, I think what did we ha- we had four of them, right? It was uh, Curry. Yeah, Curry. Harden, Westbrook, Wall, I believe was the order. No, I think Wall, right, Westbrook. Yeah. Well, so, so those are the four. Harden and Westbrook were grandfathered in specifically under the CBA. So now the only player who is eligible to sign a designated player veteran extension, remember it's, you know, you have to have made an all-NBA team either the last year or defense player of the year or MVP in the last year or two of the three preceding years. And you have to have either seven or eight years of experience. So it's a pretty narrow band. And the only player eligible this summer is Kawhi Leonard, and he did not make it, of course, this year, but having made it the previous two seasons, he is eligible. And then for the summer of 2019, there are others who could potentially qualify. Not many, though. And uh, Anthony Davis, having made All-NBA team two years in a row now, he will be eligible in the summer of 2019, no matter what happens, to sign what will be the largest contract in NBA history. Uh, would probably be almost $235 million, I believe. If, uh, you know, assuming that the cap goes up as about six or seven million bucks as anticipated. So that that's where we're at right now. The guys to watch for next year. Yeah. Oh, I was going to mention the other consequence for this year is that two players who were traded, at least partially because their teams didn't want the possibility of giving them a designated veteran extension or a contract, Paul George and Jimmy Butler, both of those guys ended up making it to Marcus Cousins did not. Yeah. and, And Paul George, I think they probably would have would have offered him that and uh i already think paul george's next contract is going to be horrible can you imagine if uh he were going to get a designated player at 35 percent instead of 30 percent? that's that's pretty ugly uh you know butler did did make it uh that's two years in a row so if he were still on his original team he would have been eligible for next year but of course it is not and that again though just highlights the utter ridiculousness that the pacers couldn't just give paul george the 35 percent max extension if they wanted to that they had to trade him because some writers didn't think he was good enough for them to pay him now those writers were probably right <laughs> that, that he that he doesn't deserve designated player veteran extension uh but well and that was also probably a factor in utah losing gordon hayward yes yeah i think that's uh that's the case as well for sure although their own refusal to give him a five-year deal was also a, a big part of that so getting back to who else to watch for next year there's really very few guys who might be eligible even for the summer of 2019 because it's basically guys who were drafted in either 2011 or 2012 Kyrie has already been traded Kawhi is already eligible now and Dame Lillard is really the only guy he did not make it last year if he had made it last year and he made it this year then he would already be eligible next summer but that wasn't the case so he's gonna have to make an all-nba team next year to be eligible and then really the only other 2012 draftees who you would think about are draymond green or bradley beal really kind of the only other guys i mean unless someone just has a victor oladipo totally out of nowhere those are the only guys you could look at i think beal's got a pretty uphill climb and so does draymond at this point well the other one i think that would be technically possible would be Kemba, but I don't I don't expect him to make an all NBA team. I also don't expect Michael Jordan to pay him You never know. <laughs> the thirty five percent max of the No, I mean yeah, well I mean, it, they shouldn't even pay him the thirty percent max for a five year. I mean that would be agreed. that would be a disaster. Um in terms of just like what the uh, some of the biggest deviations for us, we don't need to go through our whole teams, but certainly uh, neither of us had DeMar DeRozan on any of our all NBA teams and he got second team. Um and then Chris Paul did not make the writers team. He was second team, I think, for both of us. Russell Westbrook did not make my All NBA team, although he was in the same tier. He was very close. I had him off my All NBA team, so I, I had Curry and Paul on the second team, uh, and then Oladipo. I was glad to see Oladipo make it, 
And then I was also really surprised that Kyrie Irving didn't make it. Uh, I thought that he deserved to be on there. He was on, on my third team. So Westbrook and DeRozan took it rather than Paul and Irving. Uh, and then uh, what else did we have in terms of some of the deviation? Because we were closer than than some of these. Yeah, I mean, really, two Celtics. I, I had Horford making a team, and he didn't make it, and then Kyrie Irving. But the biggest difference between my personal ethos, and yours is a little different than mine, but not too far off, is I focus a lot more on quality rather than quantity, and the majority of the voters see it differently than that. Like, for me, Chris Paul was the fourth best guard in the NBA this year. He just played in fewer games, so that's why he made my second team. Same with Kyrie, same with Steph, all that kind of stuff. And so really, those injuries affected the the guard crop more. Also, the guard crop was was really sure. deep, so they had other viable options. But then, yeah, in the forwards, I think actually my forwards were pretty close because I ended up moving Davis over, so then that opened up the extra spot. Oh, no, Giannis over Durant. Yeah, yeah, I, I had other, that too. That was the other I, big and I thought that KD was just a little bit too inconsistent. I think he's clearly a better player than Giannis, uh, but that Giannis was better throughout yeah, the course it, of the season. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird how recency bias kind of works with that because I think Durant made first team All NBA because of how good he was at the beginning of the season. Yeah. But then other guys, by missing the end of the season, you know, like by playing well at the end of the season, got it. It's it's just weird how that can happen sometimes. Like when you make your imprint is is very very important for whatever reason. But yeah, other than that, I mean, I didn't have too much of an issue. I thought Jimmy Butler. You know, I had Jimmy Butler in my top five of MVP before the final yeah. month and a half of the season. So totally fine with him getting an All NBA spot. Yeah, and there really was no one who was like at his level. And this is actually interesting because I think through Bernie Lee, his agent talked about this, that he spent all this time trying to get it so he could be listed as a forward or a guard the same way that AD could be a forward or a center. And so that got him an All-NBA spot. If you were a guard, I'm not sure he would have made it. I don't think he would have. It would have been a tough call with him and Oladipo, but remember all the other people who were taking votes away. All right, that'll do it for today. Tomorrow's plan, no podcast tomorrow. I'm going to do maybe the last quarter of Cleveland and the Celtics for Tour NBA show. Danny is otherwise engaged tomorrow. And then uh, we will have a podcast for sure. Well, no, I'm not going to say for sure. If it's a total blowout, we won't on Saturday night for uh, Golden State Houston. Now with Paul being out and there being, and also if Golden State wins the series not being over, there, there's a scenario in which we wouldn't do a podcast on Saturday night. So that's another, uh, just kind of play it by ear, but certainly we'll be back soon with more dunked on so uh please stay tuned and we appreciate your listenership at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.